December 5th, 2013 meeting for the Chapel of Carborough City School Board of Education meeting. Um, thank you all for joining us. First item on the agenda is approval of the amended agenda. Move approval of the amended agenda. Agenda. <laughs> <Exciting>. <laughs> Any discussion? All in favor say aye. 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 Passes uh, 5 to 0. Uh, announcements. Uh, First of all, I'll just mention a board member, Strader, is on her way. She is um, going to be delayed due to a family um, issue. The second announcement I'm going to turn over to administration regarding some new statutes with SITS, just so we're clear publicly what we're going to have to do with an agenda item that's coming up. So I'm sure I can uh, handle that. So basically there's some um, information that um, needs to be discussed regarding school improvement plans around school safety components and that happens in closed session with the board uh, prior to the um, uh, uh, school improvement plan being adopted. Um, that um, is going to happen uh, at a later date so this evening uh, there isn't going to be action taken on the school improvement plans however there will be discussion about the non-safety component related portions of the school improvement plan uh, since we have so many folks out this evening. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> any other announcements? Anyone? Okay. Next is going to be um, moved to approve the personnel agenda and addendum. Move approval of the personnel agenda and addendum. Second. Thank you. Any discussion? All in favor say aye. 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 Passes 5 to 0. Thank you very much. So next item is the swearing in of new and re-elected board members. Should I turn that over to the judge? Judge Buckner. Judge Buckner, you're in charge now. <laughs> yes, please. We're feeling lonely. Absolutely, yes. Absolutely. Constitution laws of the United States. Constitution laws of the United States. The 
constitutional laws of the state of North Carolina. And the constitutional laws of the state of North Carolina. And that I will faithfully discharge my duties. And that I will faithfully discharge my duties. As a member. As a member. Of the Chapel Hill Carborough City Schools Board of Education. As a member of the Chapel Hill Carborough City Schools Board of Education. To the best of my ability. To the best of my ability. Congratulations. <laughs> City Schools Board of Education. To the best of my ability. To the best of my ability. Congratulations. Thank you very much, Judge Buck. So for the next item, we're going to do election of new board chairs. And we have our board attorney representative explain how this works for those of you in the audience and listening so we, you can understand what we're about to do. Um, at the organizational meeting of this new board, the uh, superintendent will act as chair until the new chair is elected. The superintendent will call for nominations. Nominations for um, chair do not require a second. Uh, the superintendent will close nominations when they have all been made, and then he will call for a vote. If there's only one nomination, the nominee may be elected by acclamation. Um, so with that, the, and then once that uh, is done, once there's been a chair elected, the chair will take over and follow the same process for election of the vice chair. Thank you. Okay. Turning it over to you. It's my pleasure to open nominations for the position of board chair. I'd like to nominate James Etta Bedford for chair. And you have right here in hands of nominations. You need to have a motion to accept that um, nomination and second and then vote. No, 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 that's not how we do it. <laughs> he made the motion. No, he made the nomination. Okay, oh, so we can do it. Oh, it's okay, we can do it. All right, I move that. <laughs> All, <laughs> All those in favor? Aye. Uh, all
Okay. 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 Those cherry green envelopes that Jim said just held up, 
you're going to find the performing arts passes for December and January. I had to fold the December pass. There are 20 events, so I had to fold it in half so it would fit the envelope. And I hope you can take in some of them. I really do. Um, also, on the passes, you'll see email addresses for the plays to really assure yourself of reserved seats because plays have tighter seating arrangements. I really suggest that you email the teachers to, uh, to reserve those ahead of time. And finally, just a really short story about the blog site that's on the front of your envelope. The Visual and Performing Arts teachers just completed professional development centered on using technology in new ways in the classroom. The teachers love this professional development, and we are so grateful to the 21st century learning coordinator, whose name I can't say. Uh, so <laughs> she opened many, many doors for the teachers, um, just new ways to just look at learning. One teacher went right back to Ephesus and started an art blog, and I received this email November 15th. Have you had a chance to visit our art blog yet? 412 people have already. We've had students' grandmother from Singapore excited to see her granddaughter's art. We've had 14 views from London, 9 from California, 5 from Tennessee, 216 from Chapel Hill, and 28 from South Carolina. Students are very excited about the art blog. Students are blogging in art class and from home. Younger students are adding video comments. At this time, all grades have at least one blog assignment posted. So if you haven't already, go take a peek. There are also QR codes that will link you to the art blog located outside my art room. Now, I didn't put on the QR code on the front of your envelope. I just put the blog site, but I hope you'll enjoy it. And thank you. Thank you. Is there anybody else here who would like to speak during public remarks? Please come forward. Citizens. Citizens, yes. <laughs> yes, you may speak as a citizen. Yeah, I'm just here as a citizen. So I'm David Saucy, parent of two students at uh, Glenwood Elementary School. On Monday evening, the district sponsored a pilot forum to discuss overcrowding at Glenwood, which included representatives from all 11 elementary schools. I served as one of the five representatives of Glenwood. I believe that such meetings are a positive step in improving communication between the district administration and the community and offer the opportunity for fact-finding, exchange of information and ideas, and calm, thoughtful discourse across the community. However, as Alexander Pope said, a little learning is a dangerous thing. Unfortunately, the group gathered on Monday evening did not have all the information I think they needed to achieve the desired outcome. The only information that we were provided in advance of the meeting was a few bullet points about the program from the time of the recommendation to discontinue the program to the present. The presentation did lay out the facts around the current <coughs> issues of overcrowding, but I don't think it gave an adequate background on how we got to where we are today and the board and district support for the program. While this is not a problem for those of us who have lived through months of detailed discussion about the program, but that was only five of the 55 people in the room. The rest walked in cold with little knowledge or understanding of the program or the background of the discussion at, at hand. All they knew or thought they knew was that this program was going to disrupt their school. The only in-depth information the other 50 participants could get was an almost two-year-old report focused on the problems of the Mandarin dual language program. There was no talk <clears throat> of all of the discussion that went into the board's decision to keep and support the program and to begin the expansion this year. People were left with only outdated information and assumptions, much of which was no longer valid as the program is now, is now 
almost fully enrolled and has achieved a lot of stability that it did not have two years ago. As such, rather than well-informed and thought-out reaction to the proposed options or suggestions for alternative ones, we ended up with the majority of responses attacking the Mandarin Dual Language Program. This really isn't helpful for a program that the Board has expressed support for. I think we're off to a, <clears throat> a rough start on this, but the forums are a good idea. Let's make sure in future forums that the participants are well informed in advance. Thank you. I'd like to recognize Matt Hughes is here from Orange County Democratic Party. Welcome. Thank you. Is there anybody else from the public who would like to speak? All right. Hearing none, then we'll move on in our agenda. Um, the superintendent is going to cover the uh, opening of school report with some help here. Okay. Todd has a Okay. Well, it's that type of year again. Well, actually, we're a little bit later than we normally are in terms of providing this report. We've obviously had a very busy fall. Um, but in any case, we're here to just present some highlights with respect to the opening of school. And so I think uh, I'd start with. Um, just two images on the screen because any opening of school year, uh, we need to highlight our major accomplishments. And so, Frank Porter Graham and Northside, I can't think of a better way to open the presentation uh, just highlighting these two major accomplishments. Uh, both of these accomplishments, accomplishments required a lot of dedication, uh, hard work, uh, commitment, and support. And really, to open schools uh, and to do all of this is, a, is truly a community effort and one that we should all be proud of. As I shared, I think at the board meeting, the first board meeting at uh, one school had been opened. Um, <coughs> I think this school year in particular, at least for me, was the most challenging in terms of opening uh, school. And we've had all kinds of challenges with power school, uh, true, new, true North Logic, new laws, last minute changes, and all of those really uh, impacted uh, our ability. Um, and uh, the people on the screen and folks across the entire district uh, really um, all through dedication, hard work, and their efforts, and just constant focus and leadership, uh, pulled off um, what should really seem like an impossible task. And uh, they do it each year, and I'm so thankful uh, for their support. In terms of tonight's presentation, we're not covering the whole report. Uh, we're just going to uh, touch on a few areas. We're going to touch on enrollment levels and capacity. Uh, that's obviously something that um, is relevant to the time with what um, Mr. Saucy had just spoken to. Um, then Liz Cartano, our Child, Nutri Child Nutrition uh, Director, is going to present some exciting information about the Child Nutrition Program. And you know, Liz and her team also really deserve a um, uh, you know, huge thanks and just kudos to her team. Since day one when they joined the district, uh, they've been um, enthusiastic, innovative, they've reached out to the community, and I think you're going to see some of the successes that we've achieved as a Child Nutrition Department. Uh, highlighted here tonight. Uh, it's also showing in the bottom line, which you'll learn about later when we talk about our audit. Um, we're going to conclude with human resources, which also had an extremely busy year. Uh, opening and staffing a school is an enormous challenge. Well, they did too. And um, it's a massive undertaking. So kudos to Arassi Adkins, our Executive Director of Human Resources, Mary Gunderson, our Teacher Recruitment Coordinator, and the entire HR department. Um, to do this, it takes planning, it takes communication, and it takes caring. And so they really looked out for each and every employee who was impacted by redistricting, the reassignments that occur with staff, 
the transfers that needed to occur uh, with respect to the Frank Porter Graham dual language magnet school. Um, and it's just a testament to their work. Then you're going to hear about the number of hires, the number of minority hires, the hires that they did around exceptional children, uh, all astounding and a job well done. Um, but it's not all roses, and you'll learn a little bit about some of our challenges that we're facing with respect to human resources and some of the things that we're doing about it. So to start with student enrollment and capacity, uh, on the screen, uh, I just highlight some high-level information with respect to our current enrollment uh, as of the 20th day of school at each level in the district. Uh, and then you can see that compared to our SAPFO capacity uh, and then the SAPFO threshold, which is the trigger for when a new school is needed. So at the elementary level this year, uh, we have 265 seats remaining uh, with respect to SAPFO. Um, 88 at the middle school level. I want to point out that I am accounting for the addition of Colbert, which includes 104 additional seats. Otherwise, we would, we're actually over capacity slightly by 16 students uh, at the middle school level. And then 100 remaining seats at the high school level. Based on the most recent SAPFO projections, we project the need for elementary 12 in the year 2021, middle school number 5 in 2019, and the high school addition in 2020. The board knows, I know a lot of our community knows, we're in the midst of a facility study. Depending on the approach and what ends up getting um, finalized in terms of recommendation and hopefully approved and moving forward, could drastically or slightly impact those dates. I thought we should take a closer look at the elementary level. Again, we know we're dealing with a um, crowding issue at Glenwood Elementary School. On the screen, it shows the SAPFO capacity of each school, and it shows the enrollment as of the 20th day of school, and it shows the number of SAPFO seats available. Also on the screen is our projections for each school in terms of, in terms of um, the number of students for next year, and then it extends in terms of the number of SAPFO seat projections available in the 14-15 school year. I want to just highlight a couple numbers here at the bottom. Um, the 265 number. Uh, in terms of available seats this year. That's roughly equivalent to 10 to 11 classrooms across the district in terms of SAPFO seats. So when you think of 11 schools, generally across the district, if things were evenly spread, we have about 11 vacant classrooms across the school in terms of SAPFO uh, calculation. Looking forward to next year, we have 178 uh, SAPFO seats in terms of our projections, which is just over the equivalent of seven classrooms of space across the district. I thought it was important just the board to get an understanding of some of the other factors in terms of where these enrollment numbers are, because you'll look at McDougal and McDougal, wow, we look like we have a lot of space in McDougal. But I thought it was important to see other factors that impact school capacity. And so when you look at McDougal Elementary School, there are four system level classrooms contained within McDougal Elementary School. There's one system level pre-K, and there's two regular pre-K classrooms at the school. And so those numbers aren't uh, carrying through to the projections and aren't impacting um, capacity. Uh, as, as we know, we've been having discussions with Orange County about pre-K. You also look at our system level classes. While some of while our, our SAPFO calculations include system level, they include it based on 10 students in a classroom. And we all know that we do not have 10 system level students in a classroom. It's more around five or six. In total, all of these uh, rooms that are in use for system level, EC, or pre-K total 33 classrooms across the district. And so I just think it's important that you know 
Yes, we've got some numbers here that we are considering in terms of space, in terms of where schools are, uh, but we also have other factors that we need to consider in terms of which schools uh, um, are impacted by system level classrooms differently uh, than others. Um, the opening of school report really doesn't, I mean, it contains our current operating budget information, but it doesn't really talk about our um, budget plan for next year. Uh, but I thought it was important that um, we mention the budget planning process for next year because it really is something that we have been thinking about um, actually before we opened school. And uh, I thought it would just be helpful to highlight for the board kind of where we are in terms of our thinking right now. Uh, we met as a cabinet recently and went through a preliminary a continuation budget based on the projected uh, number of students that we're anticipating enrolling in the enrollment growth for next year. And so just to highlight some numbers, uh, based on that enrollment of 154 students, um, if the county funds us at the same per pupil uh, rate of $3,269 and uh, accounting for the 1% increase in special district tax, we would show a revenue increase of about $700,000. We are planning for state mandates. We've been experiencing health insurance and state retirement match increases each year, so we're planning for those again. Uh, and then we've also put a placeholder here for a 3% salary increase. It may seem like a lot. It's definitely probably not enough. It needs to do more than that, but we felt like we needed to have a placeholder for that. Um, that's one point uh, in total. These um, state mandate costs would be around $1.7 million. Then looking at the continuation of current services, I think it's important that we remember we're using fund balance this year to balance our local budget. And you're going to hear again in the audit where we are with respect to our fund balance. We have used all of our available fund balance and we're going to need to either um, receive more funds to offset that or we're going to need to look at reductions. And so there's um, a total of $2.2 million in positions and expenses that are currently on fund balance. Grant total, all of these expenses combined, our estimate right now is about $4 million. After accounting for this $700,000 revenue increase, uh, we're looking at a $3.3 million shortfall. With respect to the budget, um, we think it's important in terms of communication to remind folks that this is not a single year event, that we have been living in tough times for several years, and that we have a budget history um, we've made millions of dollars, $8 million in reductions over the past several years. We, I mentioned the retirement costs continuing to increase. Teacher salaries are low. Um, and we haven't had a county property tax increase in five years. But most, um, the one big item last year that happened is they eliminated the discretionary reduction. And in doing so, they permanently eliminated from our district 37 classroom teacher positions that the state would otherwise fund and 25 teacher assistant positions. So our plan, and we've already started this plan, is to communicate this history with our stakeholders. We've met with the school, with the PPA council. We're going to be meeting with the school improvement team um, co-chairs next week. Um, I know uh, Mr. Nash and Ms. Pittman have developed a, a communication plan uh, to reach out to other areas to share our history and share the challenges that we're up against. We're trying to make sure that people are well aware of what we've been experiencing to try to start dialogue now. Of course, we're going to plan carefully. Uh, we've already started to do that. We're going to be, um, um, we've been collecting budget information. You can see we've started to plan for what we think um, the budget picture looks like. 
Uh, we're going to be doing program profiles. We're going to be doing budget line reviews. Uh, we're going to be in, including uh, our community in our, in our thinking. And then the last bullet point, um, be thankful. Um, we are in a community and a county that has strong support for public education. As you all know, our county commissioners uh, support us. Uh, I can't imagine what some of the other counties in North Carolina uh, are experiencing, uh, thinking about the challenges that we face uh, and given the strong support that we have. We're very fortunate. Ms. Cartano is going to present an update on child nutrition. It's a little, a lot more upbeat than the <laughs> couple slides I just presented. I'm Liz Cartano, Director of Child Nutrition with Chartwells. Um, we, we've had great things going on over the years in general, and I think the Child Nutrition Program has come a long way in that this is the fourth year that Chartwells has been in the district. Um, and I attended a seminar last year, um, and it was no, uh, no Kid Hungry. And they were showing how many you know, kids during the summer get fed in all the different school districts. And Orange County was so low that they weren't even on the graph that they had handed out. And I started thinking about it. All these children that we feed during the school year, breakfast, lunch, and snacks, all of a sudden the summer rolls around. And how are these children getting fed? Where are the parents all of a sudden coming up with all this additional funding? So I came back to the office and I said, okay, project number 300, we have got to feed more kids this summer. So we went out and we really made an effort to partner with people in the community. And I want to tell you, anybody that we touched base with was really willing to help us. 2012, and this includes breakfast, lunch, and snacks. These numbers do not include any children that we feed for the academic summer school program. This is just camps, um, apartment complexes, churches, you name it, childcare places. Um, 2012, we fed 16,000. We did 16,405 meals. 2013, with some effort, but not totally off the charts, we increased that to 30,387 meals that we served last year, less this past summer, to kids that otherwise would have gone without. Partnering with churches, Flick Abateman, who deals with the refugee support, Liz Cortano, Liz Carter, who deals with. Um, the teen program downtown, um, director of um, New Life. We also dealt with the community camps. So we really had some really great support to make that happen. And we're hoping to see these numbers increase again next year. And we got great feedback. We don't put out a summer program that's all fast food junk. They're getting baked ziti for lunch. They're getting fresh made pizzas, veggies, fruits. So we really tried to make an effort this year, and this was a big push for us during the summer. Um, the other thing that we did is we got community support from the Burmese um, community. And what they did is there were high school students that needed community service hours. We needed people to serve food. It was just, and not only that, they knew the community, they could reach out to the parents, there were no communication issues for us, they, we interpreted everything, so they really did a great job for us. And this is from um, Carolina Apartments. Um, the next thing is, is we're also trying to become very community oriented, and not just in Chapel Hill. Um, so we applied for a $75,000 farm to school grant, which we were just notified last month that we received, which is really kind of exciting. 
And this is actually going to be um, twofold. It's, we are currently trying to develop a partnership with East Carolina Organic Farmers. And Andrea Roosing has developed a sweet potato recipe waffle for us and using local produce. Um, and at the same time, we're also going to partner with Lenore County, which has free and reduced at 73 and Warren 82. And we're going to take our home-based cooking program to them. And we're going to help them, as they're getting uh, fresh fruits and vegetables into their school district, train their staff on how they can, in fact, use it. So we're kind of really excited about that. And that's a partnership with UNC, Alice Ammerman, and the Health Promotion and Disease Prevention. Um, and Stephanie Willis was great helping us get that written because it would have never happened. Um, and the last thing is we, Charles K-12 has 500 school districts. I don't even know how many schools. But they do a program every year called Be a Star, where you have to submit everything that you do. Um, and I have been submitting, I won it the first year they did it when I was on the URS side. I have been submitting for the past 15 years and have never won. And I've had some really great teams, but have never won. This year we submitted with healthy food choices, nutrition education, composting, 13 schools at the bronze level for the Alliance, 10 schools for the, and on and on and on and on. And Chapel Hill Carborough City Schools was voted the number one K through 12 Charles account nationally, which for me personally and professionally was massive. And for my team, <laughs> I was like, wow, you know, have finally arrived so I can retire now. <laughs> so that's kind of the really the bright picture of what's been going on in, in child nutrition. And it's really been, the past four years have been really terrific. And we've seen some really great things going on in the school. Thank you. Thank you. All right, so at this point, I think Ms. Atkins and uh, Ms. Gunderson have some information. That oh, no, no. no, no. <laughs> Good evening, everyone. Everyone's doing well. I'm so thankful to have my uh, trusty partner in crime with me this evening. Mary usually stays behind the scenes, so we're going to go over some statistics and celebrate some successes that we've had and talk about two major challenges. But before I get started, I know Todd mentioned some of the successes we had with opening two new schools, and really all of that would not have been possible. I told her I'd be brief, but to not torture and embarrass her, but I'll just talk fast. But um, you know, Mary's going to go over a couple of numbers in a minute, but I want the thing that I want you to walk away with about that is that for Mary, over the she just celebrated her 29th anniversary with all in Chapel Hill Carborough City Schools, and if, it's not just about the numbers, but for every number that you see, it's a relationship with the person that she built, and that's what a true human resources professional should be. So I really want to offer my accolades and kudos to Mary for all the hard work that she does, but all the relationships that she's built over the years, and that really, really makes it a huge, enormous um, difference. So. As Todd mentioned, this was a banner year uh, for recruitment for us. We staffed um, FPG Bilingue and, and Northside. And we also created and implemented a plan for placing um, all of our FPG staff members who needed a new staffing assignment um, while simultaneously staffing all of our um, other schools. So Mary's going to go over a couple of her amazing feats in terms of her statistics. I'll let her. We did have some record-breaking numbers this year. I'm very pleased to share those with you tonight. This was the highest number I've ever had in human resources in terms of total hiring, and that was 260. And that includes new hires, transfers, um, reassignments, and reemployment. So that was definitely a record-breaking number. 
Within that total number, we had some amazing numbers within licensure areas. We hired 23 exceptional education teachers, all of whom were fully licensed and highly qualified. Um, 23 of those were for resource positions, and nine of those were for system level classes. It was a record year for dual language. We hired 14 dual language teachers for Glenwood, Frank Porter Gray, and McCarborough. We also hired eight bilingual specialists, including a bilingual media specialist, a bilingual counselor, two bilingual gifted specialists, one bilingual um, ECPF, and multiple bilingual intervention specialists. So we're very pleased with that. Um, we had the largest number ever of teachers of color hired for the district, 51. This is definitely a record-breaking number. I'm very, very happy about that. Um, and the best news of all is that we were able to find excellent placements for our teachers at Frank Porter Graham who needed a new assignment in the district. And all of that was worked out in a way that we had a win-win solution for both schools and teachers that were involved in that process. Beyond the numbers, there are three different uh, innovations we've had in our process that we'd like to share with you. Um, we have started a new teacher support group for teachers of color, and teachers of color in the district. We're, we're excited about where that um, will lead us, and Arasi will give you more details about that a little bit later in our comment section, so I'll hold off on that. Um, we did enhance our employment process in terms of the selection um, process that we used. We ask all principals to use a uniform set of behavioral-based questions at each school. Um, we had the principals come together as a group and help us designate desirable qualities of exemplary employees, and we use that to drive our process. We then had second round interviews for all positions where persons had to come back into a task or something specific that was related to that assignment, and that was very telling and very helpful to us to, to provide that second step in our process. And last, all of our schools um, are this year fully on board with a new piece of technology that we're using to track our applicant database and staffing process. Helps us be more timely and also gives us ease to access, and that's the HRMS system. And all of our schools are 100% on board now, so we're very pleased with that too. So those are some of a snapshot of some of our successes that we've had. Of course, you can read in the opening school report if you're having trouble sleeping one night, all of the other statistics. <laughs> but I do want to talk about and highlight two major challenges that we face. Um, and our, our number one challenge is to the continuation to recruit and retain highly qualified, highly skilled teachers. This is due to a variety of reasons, but um, number one is the low teacher pay. I think right now we're at 46th in the nation. Um, the elimination of master's pay, uncertainty with regard to tenure changes, as we've discussed before, uh, and just an overall more difficult climate uh, for teachers in the state. And Mary has some, a couple of, she's going to go over some examples as I talk. Sure. One quick example there is we did have a resignation from a math teacher uh, this current school year. This was a math teacher who was a teaching fellow, so obviously that was someone who was very committed to teaching early on in life. But this teacher left teaching despite having a great school and saying in writing that he was very much pleased with his school and his students and his principal, but left teaching to take an IT job, which literally doubled his salary. Um, and that's very hard uh, news for us to accept and, and very sad to see someone leave who's at the moment in the profession. So we need the board and the public to, to understand that we're going to see continue to see, unfortunately, an increase in our teacher turnover rate despite our best efforts to recruit and retain. Um, also, we wanted to highlight that when teachers resign mid-year or go on a long-term absence, I know that all of you are familiar with that. Hearing that in the closed sessions is very difficult in staffing. Those with a highly qualified teacher, um, we can only employ non-licensed substitute teachers for up to four weeks without um, uh, going out of compliance with the No Child Left Behind laws. So when mid-year vacancies come up, understandably, a lot of parents ask the question, you know, what is your staffing plan? And it kind of always gives me pause because we really have 
the same plan for every single vacancy, and that is that we advertise the position, we contact everyone we know, Mary works the phones and email, and just reach out to you know retirees, people who might be a good fit, anticipated graduates, university contract, contacts, etc. We want the board and the public to know that every single vacancy we staff with a sense of urgency and we are relentless in trying to find people. But again, it's going to be increasingly more difficult in this um, North Carolina climate. So we also are going to have increased difficulty in recruiting high needs areas like Mary, you know, said 32 exceptional children to hires. That is amazing. You know, I worked in another county that's double our size. I don't think we ever had that number of hires. Um, for EC and math and other areas that are high need. This is going to be true across the state. It's just going to be increasingly difficult. And Mary has another example. Just this Tuesday night, I was at NC State for a recruitment fair for their December graduates. It was a very small group of students, 11 students graduating in December, and there were eight districts there competing for these 11 <laughs> students. So I spoke to all the recruiters there, and I said, well, what are your vacancies like? Every district had an EC vacancy. Every district had at least two. We were the only district that only had one. Um, so the, the lack of EC candidates and the depletion of the EC pool is prevalent across the state. For out-of-state candidates, North Carolina, unfortunately, is looking less and less desirable. Um, I already mentioned the low pay. Their starting base salary is lower than our surrounding states. And Mary has another example. This summer, we had a seller candidate, a University of Michigan graduate who was a math teacher interviewed at all three of our high schools. All three of our high schools absolutely love this candidate, really wanted this candidate to come here. This candidate had over 20 job offers, including seven in the state of North Carolina. Um, the candidate told me in person that his favorite school that he visited was one of our high schools and said that he would really like to be there. He liked everyone he met there. He felt the most comfortable there, but he was planning to take a job in Kentucky that had a $12,000 a salary that was $12,000 higher than our starting salary. Um, and that's the kind of responses we're getting from more and more out-of-state candidates. And Mary and I have this thing that we do in HR. We're oftentimes faced with a lot of gray area decisions. So we have this thing that we call the man on the street test. So if you walked up to a person, if we're having a really tough decision that we need to make, we say, if we walked up to a person on the street and we asked them X, whatever it is, and Mary's going to go over what this is, um, would, you, would that person think that that's fair or reasonable? So here's, well, here's my latest man on the street test. This is my personal personal advocacy for teacher salary. I go up to complete strangers and say, let me ask you a question. What would you think of a job where the person's salary, annual salary was $30,800, and that person was required to have a bachelor's degree, that person was required to do some testing to get that job, and that person worked for five consecutive years for $30,800, and then in the sixth year, that person got an annual, not monthly, annual pay increase of $420. Would that strike you as fair or reasonable? And everyone is aghast when I give that example. And they all begin asking, well, is it Walmart? Is it Target? Where are people being treated like this? And I say, actually, these are beginning teachers in North Carolina. A person with a bachelor's degree makes $30,800 plus a 12% supplement, total salary of $34,496, and waits five full years for a $420 pay increase in year six. And the other thing is the base salary. After 15 years, they make just under $40,000, $39,650. So that's another thing. You know, after 15 years, does it seem reasonable to you that a person would be making, uh, who's teaching your children, $39,650? That's the base salary, not including supplements. So 
I promise you I'm going to have some solutions in a second, but um, <laughs> I'm going to go ahead. Here's some other. It's just like, what? <laughs> 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 I have more. I have more, but I just, this one last thing that I think really highlights some, some, some statistics. For our neighbor, Virginia, I looked up some teacher salaries in different Virginia counties. So Fairfax <coughs> County is a well-known county, very wealthy county, very similar to ours. Median family income is ninety-two thousand. They're beginning teacher salaries forty-five about forty-six thousand. Uh, in Richmond City Public Schools, they're beginning salary forty about forty-four thousand dollars. In Wise County, Virginia, which is a lower wealth county, um, the starting salary is thirty-four thousand. But this is the one that really struck me in Buchanan County, Virginia. Buckingham. Buckingham. And I was going to say, <laughs> my mother lived there in Grundy for three years, so I know personally that this is a very um, a struggling county, but they have a median family income there is twenty seven thousand three hundred. It's the poorest county in Virginia and one of the one of the one one of the one hundred poorest counties in the United States. Their starting salary for teachers is thirty thousand five hundred. So it's it's exactly pretty much the same as our starting salary base salary for a teacher in North Carolina. Um, just to give you a comparison of what Chapel Hill, the town of Chapel Hill, the median, median family income is 91000 um, And Chapel is North Carolina's most educated city. 73% of our residents hold bachelor's degrees. And please keep in mind that, as you guys know, Chapel Hill, um, Carborough is in the top five counties out of the 115 in terms of our local supplement, but even that is not enough. Um, the starting salary with our supplement, as Mary mentioned, is $34,496. The point is that we're going to continue to lose teachers to other states and other fields if North Carolina doesn't do something to raise teacher pay across the board. Um, and we want our community to, to be aware of that and what they can do to support our teachers. And this is an area where parental advocacy at the state level can really have a tremendous impact on the support of um, our teachers. So we're going to talk about what we can do about this because we hate presenting challenges and problems without offering some things that we're working on. We're going to continue to do our very best to be innovative about our recruitment strategies, trying new markets, um, targeted recruitment in areas where we've achieved previous recruitment success, continue with our strong relationships with colleges and universities, working with our great strong uh, principals who are already keenly aware of the issue, in ways that they can support teachers, continue to support teachers like they do, and enlisting the support of the community um, and parents who, who already are very supportive of our great teachers. We also are trying to gather more and better information on why teachers are leaving our district and try to zero in on ways we can help resolve some of those issues uh, when we can. So for example, Mary and I have been really trying to make a concerted effort to go out to talk to a teacher if we find that they are considering resignation. We've, we've done that several times this year. We try to see if there are any solutions that we can come up with. Sometimes we, you know, for an EC teacher, for example, they mentioned some things. We met with some folks in the EC department. So we try our best to come up with some strategies to try to retain those folks, every single person. So again, we are working on that. We wanted you guys to be aware of that. So that's our biggest um, challenge. The last thing that I want to mention um, in terms of a challenge is the continued support and retention of our teachers and administrators of color. Um, we've long struggled, as you all know, with issues around equity with regard to student success, but we also need to shine a light on the problem of inequity with supporting our teachers and administrators of color. Just to give you some background, last year, Mary and myself, along with Sarita Allen Medlid and Roberta Barrett, who also deserve a lot of kudos and praise for all of the wonderful support they provide for not just new teachers, but for veteran teachers. 
Um, we were all really alarmed because at different points of the year, with different teachers of color from different schools at different levels, they approached us with some of the same types of concerns, and, and it was striking because the feedback was similar. The teachers of color felt that they were being treated differently, negatively, um, than non-teachers of color. And I'll give you a few examples in a minute, but this was particularly true of new teachers who, as we mentioned, we worked so hard to recruit in the first place. So the issues were really similar. Um, in, in many, many cases, the overwhelming majority cited a small number of prominent parents. In some cases, it was just one or two parents were negatively targeting them in subtle ways. For example, questioning their credentials or nitpicking teaching strategies or communication style, etc. Complaints filed with school administration without talking to the teachers first. And I'll give you an example about the credentials issue. Um, as many of you know, by law, in any school that receives Title I funds, parents have a right to know whether their teacher is highly qualified. Well, as I mentioned, I worked in neighboring county for four and a half years. It was double our size. And I think I remember getting one request in four and a half years. This year alone, I received three requests, and they were all for African-American teachers. And by the way, if anyone wants to know, we, we don't hire any non-highly qualified teachers. So if parents are sitting there thinking, oh, I would like to know that about, the answer is yes. Your, your, your child's teacher is highly qualified because we only hire uh, highly qualified teachers under the No Child Left Behind law. So in light of the, the um, concerns that we received, we held a meeting last year. It was an open invitation to teachers of color. It was well attended. It was really eye-opening. Um, we can safely say that everyone was in agreement. Every time someone mentioned an example of something that happened to them, you would see the whole room nodding. Um, overwhelmingly, the teachers felt they were supported by their administration, which is a great thing. But it was a small number of, of parents in these cases that they reported who they felt were targeting them. Now the issue is complicated because for many new teachers, some of the concerns mentioned by parents are issues that all new teachers face, like classroom management, techniques, communication, etc. But because of that, the majority of our teachers of color who reported these issues really felt isolated and alone. And so they would ask themselves questions, is this just me? Am I crazy? Is this something that I'm doing? Are teachers, other teachers feeling this way? So if I could indulge you in, a, in an analogy, here's the best, you might laugh at this, but here's the best one that I can come up with. I think it's safe to say that everyone here, everyone has some blemishes on their face, let's say. Dry skin, oily skin, pimples, whatever. Uh, there are blemishes there. Here, it's like our teachers and administrators of color are looked at under a magnifying glass. So if I walked around right now with a magnifying glass on my skin, you'd probably see plenty of blemishes. You might even point them out because they look prominent. Um, but if you put a magnifying glass on anyone's skin here in the room, you'd probably find the same. So it's as if people look for something wrong, which is easy to do when you're walking around with a magnifying glass. And then when someone finds something wrong, the people looking for it zero in and attack. If you ask any teacher of color or administrator of color in this district, particularly those who have been here for a long time, they'll tell you that the problem is real. Our teachers and administrators of color are subjected to closer scrutiny than non-teachers of color, and that's simply not fair, not just, it's not right, and it's not equitable. And the issues reported by our teachers of color and administrators of color being under a microscope by some parents were not reported by non-teachers of color. Um, overall, they felt very supported by parents in the community, and we routinely do surveys at the end of the year with our teachers of, uh, new, new teachers all the time. Um, now, I know that I went over some sobering facts, particularly what I just mentioned, and I know from experience in working with all of you that this doesn't sit well. 
um, it doesn't for us either. So we want you to know that we are going to try to attack this problem and not just talk about it. As one of our group facilitators, Crystal Epps, so eloquently puts it, we're not just going to be, quote, problem admirers. That is just talking about the problem and not trying to find solutions. So here's what we're going to do to attack it. First thing is acknowledging that there is a problem, no matter how awkward or, or uncomfortable it may be, that right here in Chapel Hill, teachers of color and administrators of color are treated inequitably. We're going to work with our great school administrators who are also keenly aware of this problem, that it exists, and providing additional strategies of support for our teachers of color, and how to respond when they encounter some of the issues reported by our teachers of color. We're bringing together a committed group of problem solvers, this is our support group, to share ideas and provide solutions for supporting our teachers and administrators of color. We invested some money in, in um, having some of our group members to attend the um, NAPSI conference, which is the National Association of Black School Educators, a couple of weeks ago. We wanted to explore the idea of the possibility of um, potentially starting a group here. Our next Teacher of Color support group meeting is tomorrow, so we're looking forward to hearing from those who attended. We're going to continue to nurture our relationships with historically black colleges and universities and continue to participate in different events like mock interviews. Mary all does every event she signs up for. Um, we're going to enlist the support of our great parents who recognize the signs of inequity and to work to um, drown out the small number of voices who are determined to target teachers and administrators of color. And I really want to highlight that because it really is a small number of people, the overwhelming majority of our parents and community members. Probably, it, this is alarming and disturbing to them, too. Um, and then we're going to elicit ideas from our support group. We need the ideas to come from the ground up from them, because they're the best ones who can say, this is what's going to be helpful for us. This is what's going to help um, support us. So I know we went over a lot of bad news. I promise you I was getting to the good part. I want to leave you with positive. <laughs> it took a long time. But overall, I know I mentioned some things, but this really is a fantastic fantastic place to work and we want to build on the strengths that we have as a district and I'm going to mention se several of them as we continue to recruit and retain our excellent teachers. Number one, we have strong leadership all around with Dr. Fursella, Dr. Parvey, Mr. Lefries and others um, in our administrative offices. We have wonderfully supportive principals as I mentioned, which I want to stop and tell you that that's often the number one reason cited by teachers as a reason they leave. So thankfully, we have the opposite problem. This is not really the case here, which is fantastic news. Our new teachers, through surveys, through conversations, they overwhelmingly support this, um, cite the support of their administrators as a reason they stay. And that's why we feel like a lot of our teachers and administrators of color have stayed, too. In large part, it's because of the strong support from their administrators. We have one of the highest supplements in the state. We have very strong community support of public education, strong parent support and collaboration, investment in the PLC model, and we have ample resources, um, both material resources and funding for support personnel, and we have multiple professional development opportunities here. Aside from that, the employees that I know I've encountered, Mary has encountered over the years, we have some of the hardest working, most committed, dedicated, genuine, <laughs> sincere people that their life's work is to support the growth of all students. Um, when there's a problem here, we try to come together and, and solve it, and that's what we're <coughs> going to do with these challenges. So rather than be discouraged, we want to have everyone walk away being encouraged that we have the right people to, to do the job, to get the job done. So thank you so much for all your time. Yes.
objections on our, our remarks for this evening. So, thank you. Uh, thank, thank you very much. This is always a very um, informative document, and it's very comprehensive, and it get more comprehensive. I think it's used widely by the community. Um, did you have a question about the middle school number five? Uh, I think I counted six years from this past fall. So it needs to be open, and when do we start planning for that? Well, is, um, is there a site? There is a site that's been designated for middle school five, which would be up near Morse Road. That's been in our plan. Um, there's clearly discussions going on right now with respect to uh, the old schools and our approach to old schools that could address middle school capacity. Um, probably a three-year time frame in terms of uh, funding needs to construct a middle school. Um, so we're, we're getting close, um, but we're hopeful that we get some support in our old schools that sorely need uh, funding to make renovations and if there's a way uh, to perhaps push that back further um, that might be nice to see but we got we have we've had some conversations with school improvement teams we're working with our architects uh, we need to be sensitive to each school in terms of its current capacity and what it can reasonably hold if we did any type of additional development at, at our current school sites uh, just, just the other uh, sort of general comment that I have is about um, teachers and um, staff in general but the, very good bellwether for how we're doing is the teacher turnover rate. When I first came to the district, it was, uh, uh, first came to the board, about 16%, and it got down to about half that. That was about 8% in 2008, I think, in your chart. Um, and now it's creeping back up clearly. It's up to uh, 12, 13%, and that's um, for the reasons that uh, were, were discussed. Uh, clearly, the budget issues are ones that we don't have control over, but we clearly have control over how we treat our staff. And that's uh, uh, that glad that there is some attention being paid to that. And I would just, um, the right people probably aren't listening to this, but uh, everyone would, uh, I think, uh, follow those kindergarten rules um, and try to be nicer than you have to be. Uh, it's always a good practice, and we don't always practice that, but something to think about. Just um, emphasize one of the points that Mike was making at the beginning. I think uh, translating that time that's left for middle school by in any communication or documents we have with our ongoing conversations with the um, chair and vice chair of the board of county commissioners, and then as we meet, and then as you administratively meet, because I know they're keenly interested in that middle school timeline and some of the pushback we're getting in terms of postponing moving forward while they're waiting for all these other things. I think any time we have concrete ways of pointing out how the urgency is there and we don't have an unlimited timeline, right. would be helpful. Be really clear. Mm -hmm. Do the numbers for them. Don't leave the date, just, and you do the math. Spell it out. Thanks. So, so these, these SAFO, I mean, this enrollment capacity, enrollment <coughs> capacity, this is the new November. What we're submitting to the TAC and all that? 
No, those um, the SAP, the SAPO numbers are slightly different. They're based on the November fifteenth date. The opening the school reports based on the twentieth day of school. Okay. So the numbers that are reported to SAPO, which were recently approved, I think just this week, maybe Monday, uh, by the county commissioners, then go into the different formulas. So we don't actually have projections yet. We'll be meeting with um, the whole advisory group probably in the next month uh, to review those draft projections. The dates that you see and that I showed on the screen are from the last SAFO report, which was certified um, back in the spring, yeah, something like that. So those dates are based on November 15, 2012 numbers. Um, I don't think they're going to change that much. The elementary growth was a little bit less, I think, than the model showed. The middle school growth was pretty much dead on. The high school growth might have been a little bit accelerated overall, but um, I don't. I don't anticipate those. If they do change, it would be either be moving up one year or back one year. I mean, you just look at the one-year projection trend. You've got 70 additional elementary school kids in one year, and only 178 seats left. So I'm not sure how you get to 21, 2021, but be interested to see that in the spring. <coughs> I think that's a symptom of us living on the edge um, and waiting until the last possible minute for the new school to open. And then when you open the new school, you don't really get as much relief as, as you thought. So right, there's 178 seats. But when you look in that number, look at the SAPFO threshold number. I, I don't have the PowerPoint ahead of me, but um, it was several hundred seats. But you know, then we're, then we're living on the opposite side of 100% where we don't want to be. So, and this chart, it was at 100%, not 105%? I think I showed both on that PowerPoint. Oh, the second chart with the detail by elementary, you're right, is, is only 100%. Right. Okay. Yeah. It says SAPO capacity, but SAPO capacity really is 105. Right. Um, no, SAPO, well, okay. the SAPO <laughs> threshold. <laughs> there you go. Okay. Threshold. To that point, too, though, there have been discussions, and part of the, the conversation is leading towards changing SAPO and changing with those the thresholds with the pre-K and trying to, trying to continue to have this dialogue with the Orange County Schools and the County Commissioners. So, Something we're going to have to really and I tried to illustrate that in a different way tonight with all of those classrooms which people really don't think about that are in all the schools and when you really start looking at it, it's pretty dramatic. Is there a way to take, I mean 33 rooms is, is obviously a, one way to look at it, but to actually figure out how many bodies, I mean it's really 33 rooms times 28 minus whatever minus what you can really put in there, yeah. right? Because some of those rooms are full-size room; they could hold 25, but there's only four or five kids in there. Right. So it may be useful just to, to think about including that when you when you present this in terms of what is really not being counted. Mm -hmm. Thank you. We do refer back to it constantly. Right, four members. Um, that brings us to uh, consent item 7A, B, and C. Move consent agenda. All those in favor say aye. Aye. Any opposed? Consent agenda. 7A, B, and C approved. 7-0. And we will now tackle um, 7D, resolution for approval um, for the, yeah, here, for the 
call to Congress to fund urgently needed services. And Mike, I think you had uh, pulled this one, so you want to start? And I guess I uh, would ask uh, for some information on how this got on the agenda or who I address questions to, or how does that work? I mean, the chair and vice, we, we put it on the agenda. We have two um, representatives from the, the group here. Yes. Uh, so, so who's going to I'm sorry? And at the, at the meeting when the, uh, Mr. Elkins came and presented, um, the board was clear in saying that we don't take action on something that's presented on that particular night. We're going to have to come back to a future meeting. So, uh, well, historically, this board has not engaged in uh, passing resolutions that were distant from our core mission. Mm -hmm. And I would say that this meets that criteria that's not in our core mission. So I guess that's what I'm asking as, mm -hmm. as a first starter, mm -hmm. um, and you might desire not to set a precedent to begin that. Um, and I, just about the specific wording of this, um, it seems to me that, that the petition is, is a petition to us, um, and are we ad adopting this as our resolution? That that's what's being read. Yes, that would be the action um, paper post, yes. Okay, so I have some questions about the mm -hmm. petition. Um, what is the current state of U.S. military in Iraq? Mr. Evans, if you know any of these, please feel free to come forward and help us uh, I'll answer I'll tell you the that. answer since I know. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> that helps. Since Wikipedia knows. Uh, the U.S. withdrew forces from Iraq about two years ago. What is the current status of military, U.S. military presence in Afghanistan? Still there. They're winding, they're winding down. Um, the, uh, I'm just reading the newspapers now. Uh, the Afghanistan government has not signed a cooperation agreement, apparently. I don't understand exactly the implications of that. Um, there is a timeline. I don't know what the details of that are, but I think we ought to we're going to be diving into this. I think we have to know what that means and what it means if uh, we are advocating that we're going to withdraw the military from that situation uh, at a different schedule than what is being planned. Um, and and I'm just sorry, giving you a flavor of uh, why this is really not in our domain, in my opinion. Um, so if you want to pass a resolution that encourages the federal government to engage, to invest in education at a greater level, I think that's the appropriate thing for us to do. Um, but I think this is uh, asking a very specific action uh, for which uh, I'm not sure that we're in a position to know. And I think the wording of the resolution is pretty clear that we it's not written in, in contemporary language uh, that would be uh, appropriate for communication with Congress or uh, President Obama. Um, and if we're going to get into this, then we're going to be talking about all kinds of different priorities um, from health care to uh, agricultural subsidies to tax codes uh, to everything else under the sun if we're talking about federal funding. And that's just to me, it's just way beyond what we're here for. Okay. Other board members? Move the resolution. All seconds. Additional discussion? 
I mean, I, I, I generally agree with Mike um, uh, that this, you know, I don't have facts and I don't have figures and um, I'm an Army grad of 20 years, see great need for our military throughout the world, but um, I also see it as a gesture for peace in the world and, and, and for redirecting our funds um, towards education from military spending without any general numbers, without any specifics. Um, and I would hope, and because other, some other board members did want this on the agenda, um, which is why we placed it there, uh, but I can support it as, as a gesture. So, just to clarify to you, um, well, I appreciate what you're saying, Mike, and don't want to get into slippery slope of having to deal with most of, the, most of these kind of broader issues. I think um, the level of impact that this particular one has had in terms of a ripple effect and the ideas, as Jim Zed is saying, is a, um, a gesture. Um, I'm personally aware of several people, even in my division, that, that are being deployed actively. There are still impacts that are happening, so the 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 general concept that sort of we only have limited funds and the impact even is just what we're talking about in our own budget and just trying to do it in a, as Jones said, I think it really is at a gesture level. It's not, uh, I'm not naive to sort of what the long-term impact of this I think that this, you know, the, the precedence that we set and the, the way that we do this is going to have a big impact on how we lobby the state because we, we may be in a position in the next year or two to, act to to lobby the state in a more meaningful and less symbolic way. So I think we want to think about that as we decide whether or not we support this as well. Any other discussion? All those in favor, support of the resolution, say aye. 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 Those opposed, say nay. Aye. Motion carries five to two. I pulled the next item, which is the contract um, language uh, resolution agreeing that um, basically the county takes over for the facility of Colbert until the um, loan is paid back. And it was just on page 8 where I had a question um, under Article 10, that part of the contract for our attorney because it says that you can't, um, the school board may, may enter into agreements for use of portions of the lease property with state and local but not federal government entities and may allow for the occasional use of portions of the lease property by federal or non-government um, entities, uh, in which case we have, without the necessity of obtaining the prior consent. And we know that we have a, um, a cell tower that we get revenue for and that's a, uh, non-governmental entity and it's not occasional. So I wanted to check, and of course this, I would still be proposing that we adopt this, but directing our council um, and administrators to make sure that gets covered or grandfathered in. And this, I was able to email Deborah to get some yes, information. And the resolution in paragraphs three and four that the board would be approving does allow the um, executing officer and superintendent or board chair to um, approved a document if there are minor changes that don't substantially change the intent. And so I think um, that recognizing that there's an existing lease in place uh, could be some language could be added to that. And it wouldn't substantially change the intent of the agreement and the board could go ahead and approve this tonight. Um, recognizing that, that that change would need to be made. 
I would also add Don Council and our attorney, uh, Rod Malone, is already, they've already been discussing this matter and have already been working with those lease, lease changes. Any other comments? Did we find out who owns the cell? Oh, oh right. Carrier yeah, I, I got South that part of the question. Um, I don't have, we actually have two. Um, oh. So I, I don't, I don't have that. But I'm anticipating that because yes, I yes, I mean. um, the the prohibitions on uh, voting on conflicts of interest are if there's a direct benefit from the contract and, and, and I'm not sure what the, the contact is your employer. Is, oh, yeah, is I'm employed by Verizon. Right. So. The, that's already a contract that's been approved by the board. It's an existing lease, um, and this one is a different lease. There's no direct benefit from this document, uh -huh. so I, I don't think that applies. Super. And I'll move the resolution, resolution um, noting that we ask administrators and attorneys to include that prior lease Second. as needed. And the, 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 the vice chair and chair will address that with the, the superintendent as needed. As needed. Yeah. Okay. Okay. We had a second? Yep. Any other discussion? All in favor say aye. Aye. Any opposed? That's approved 7 0. That brings us now to discussion and action, and this will be auditors clear ready. Good evening, board members. I'd like to thank y'all for allowing us to perform the board's audit for the year ending June 30th, uh, 2013. Uh, we'll have to report that the audit went very smoothly. The uh, books and records were found to be in very good order. Uh, as part of our compliance audit procedures, we performed a significant amount of detailed general expenditure and payroll transaction testing. And as a result of this testing, there were no findings or question costs reported that could possibly result in the board having to repay uh, any of the state or federal grant funds that it received. And uh, based on our testing, it also appears that management is spending the funds of the district in accordance with the budgets that the board has approved. Um, has everyone got a copy of the report that we issued? Okay, we'll look at a few pages out of there. I promise you we won't look at all of them. <coughs> page one is our uh, financial statement uh, opinion letter, and it is a uh, unqualified or unmodified opinion, which is exactly what you want to receive. And uh, that simply means that we feel as though all of the amounts presented in the report uh, are reliable and free from any material misstatement and that uh, all of the information is presented in accordance with generally accepted accounting principles. Okay, if everyone would turn over to page 12 of the report, and we'll look at some fund balance information. Okay, page 12 is the uh, balance sheet of the district's government funds. And we'll look at the uh, child nutrition and uh, child care funds in just a moment. The first column is the uh, general fund uh, column. And next to the last number from the bottom, total fund balance, the district had an ending fund balance of 7,764,061 as of June 30, 2013. And that fund balance is comprised of the uh, uh, four numbers you see above there. You've got a uh, non-spendable fund balance of 941271 and uh, that's for prepaid expenditures. Uh, you all got assets that are not in the form of cash, and so the state does not allow uh, school districts to have that fund balance available for appropriation, so that's why it's broken out separate. And uh, 
the same thing goes for the stabilization by state statute of 758,515. That represents receivables and encumbrances that were outstanding at June 30th. And again, so they're not in the form of cash that you can't appropriate those amounts. That brings us down to the amount that's assigned for subsequent years' expenditures of $3,222,913. And that represents the amount that uh, the board has uh, appropriated to balance the fiscal year 13-14 uh, budget. And uh, that compares with uh, the district actually used $3.1 of fund balance in the year that you just come out of. And we'll look at the following page in just a moment that shows that. So that, that's uh, not an unrealistic amount for the district to use this coming year based on what you did uh, last year. And that would leave the district with 2,841,362 of unassigned fund balance that would be available um, to balance future budgets or to appropriate in the current year uh, if the district wanted to. Um, now that number does bring the district down below the target minimum uh, fund balance that is uh, that has been set at 5.5%. Uh, this amount represents about 4.5% of, of last year's uh, expenditures. So, so basically, if you ended up spending that full 3.2 million that you've appropriated this year, y'all would not have enough fund balance left at that point uh, to use 3.2 million again. You'd be down to this 2.8 million. Uh, I think Mr. LaFreeze mentioned that a little bit earlier. So. Basically, you'll end up needing to either increase revenues or decrease expenditures or some combination of, of both of those items uh, going forward. Okay. Any questions on this page? Flip over to page 13. Page 13 shows basically the same uh, columns as on page uh, 12, but this shows the revenues and expenditures of the district. Uh, for the year into June 30, 2013. And if you look at the first column there, the general fund, uh, bottom number is that same ending fund balance that we just talked about. Two numbers above that, the net change in fund balance. Uh, as I mentioned previously, y'all used 3,084,402. Uh, so that's where that 3,222,000 loss would show up next year if that's how much you end up using. Um, and just looking across here, State public school fund and federal grants. Uh, Y'all don't carry fund balance in those funds. You spend those funds as you receive them. Uh, there's no carryover in either one of those funds. And capital outlay fund into the year with $676,970 of fund balance. And the special revenue funds, that's made up of your uh, restricted grants fund and your individual schools. Uh, they ended the year with a million four forty-three eight twenty-eight. Any questions about anything on this page? All right, page 19 shows the revenues and expenditures of the school food service fund and the child care fund. And first column, school food service. Um, bottom number, net position, also referred to as fund balance, uh, was 165830 as of June 30th, 2013. And if you um, look up at the number, it's a negative 333,181, the income loss before transfers and contributions. Um, that's the amount of loss that the program basically incurred before any transfers were done to subsidize the program. And you can see there were transfers from other funds of about 232,000 
last year. And that's roughly about how much you've been transferring in the last couple of years. And that compares with the three years before that when we were transferring about half a million dollars a year. So uh, great improvement has been made in this program over the past uh, three years compared to what y'all were seeing in 2008, 9, and 10. Okay. And the child care fund, it, uh, looking at that same uh, line as before, it, uh, had a profit of 281,553, and that compares with the previous year, a profit of 265,000, and that program ended the year with 527,501, and uh, income uh, has been going up in that program, and uh, it's been doing better the past couple of years, so that program appears to be operating soundly. Okay. Any questions about any of the financial numbers? Okay. On page 48 um, is the first of three compliance letters that we issued. And we had one compliance um, finding that we uh, cited. It was not a uh, financial finding that's going to result in any monies having to be repaid. But all, all three of the letters that are in here that relate to compliance are uh, unmodified reports, which is what you want to get. But again, we did have one finding, and that's summarized on page 55. immediately after those three letters. And this finding deals with, uh, with purchase orders. And uh, then the criteria, it uh, states that board policy requires that all requests for goods, services, and equipment for which the board will be responsible for payment must be made utilizing purchase orders. And, uh, and we, we select a, a pretty large sample of expenditures as part of our testing. And we did note a few items where purchase orders uh, had not been completed uh, as required by board policy. Um, none of the items uh, were of an unusual nature. I mean, they were all items that were allowable, budgeted, and all of that good stuff. But just proper procedure, you want those purchase orders to be done. Because basically what purchase order does is it lets the finance department verify that there is money in the budget uh, to cover the amount that the director or whoever it is initiating the purchase they finance is able to make sure there is enough money in the budget to cover that item. And uh, I think in most cases your directors know they're watching their budgets, making sure the money's there. But in some cases, you know, these um, purchase orders are not being done up front. So just need to stress to all those folks with the purchasing responsibility, you know, let's follow the proper procedures that are outlined in the policy. Any questions on that item? And we issued one other letter with a, a few other internal <coughs> control recommendations. It's a two-page letter. It says cash receipts and disbursements individual schools right in the middle of bold. Okay. The, the, um, everyone got that? Okay. Uh, there's a the first couple of bulleted items there under the individual schools comment. Uh, this deals with uh, uh, teachers, not turning in money in a timely manner and not following uh, proper internal control procedures. Um, same thing I think we've commented on in, in recent years. We just need to keep reiterating to those uh, teachers and having the principals at the schools to uh, uh, you know, provide encouragement that uh, you know, this needs to be done. Um, and this problem would be if when we go in to do the audit, we have trouble sometimes just verifying that money has been deposited because 
uh, the proper procedures aren't being followed. Um, you know, we didn't have any issues where, where the money wasn't put in the bank, but we did have trouble actually tracing it in. Just need to reiterate that with, uh, with all of the teachers in the district. And uh, last bullet item, uh, we noticed some gift cards being purchased for various things, uh, student awards, incentives, raffles, etc. Uh, we just recommend that uh, if you're going to issue uh, gift cards, provide gift cards as an incentive, you need to have whoever it is that gets the gift card to actually sign for it and indicate that they received it. That's just a good internal control procedure to have. And uh, basically what that does is it provides proof that the card was given to someone and not just purchased by the uh, bookkeeper, principal, whoever, and then you know, they, they kept it. But just need to have that control in place as a to provide documentation that the intended person got it. Okay. And on the next page, um, I think the last few years we've cited that the uh, controls of the cash receipts of the transfer <coughs> office could uh, be improved. And on top of Ms. Pittman, I think that uh, they finally uh, resolved that. They're going to have the cash receipts. Uh, for any transcripts, you're not going to be collected in the finance department going forward. So, uh, hopefully, this will be the last year we have this going on. But we, we did note that you know, the money is not being turned in like they ought to be. Not big dollars, but something that we noted. Okay. And then the last comment uh, deals with contracted services. Um, we noted that contracts uh, that are being initiated in the district are not always being uh, given to Ms. Pittman for her uh, pre-audit approval. And any, any contracts that are initiated by the district have to have the pre-audit approval as state law. So we just recommend that, uh, and just reiterate to all of the directors, any contracts have to go through Ms. Pittman's office and uh, let her uh, sign off on them. Again, that's uh, allowing her to verify the money in the budget. And, uh, Everything looks okay. Does anyone have any questions? That's all I plan to cover. Amanda, I, um, I did have concern, some concerns. Um, I appreciate the, the hard work that you do, the hard work that um, our finance director um, does all the time, uh, making sure that um, we're doing what we need to do. But I was concerned. Um, that the concerns that you have are not new ones, but they continue. Um, I sent an email, but I didn't get a response. So um, I wanted to find out, um, related to the first page of, of this same letter, um, did you feel as if, I don't know if you can quantify it or not, um, that there were some improvements based on the strategy that was was to have been um, implemented last year in terms of communication, what those directives and what those protocols are. Yeah. Was there an improvement? Maybe a little, but you know, basically when, I'm, when we're evaluating whether or not to report these items uh, to the board, uh, we typically look and see how many how many instances of it were being noted, mm -hmm. and obviously it was enough that we felt like it's not being addressed as it ought to be. So we're still seeing quite a bit of it. Third bullet with the gift cards. Um, obviously, over the past few years, it's become very popular That's um, right. to uh, to give as a gift a gift card. But um, were staff aware of this protocol? 
before it was cited that they needed to get a signature? Was there they advance? told that that's the procedure. Is that right? Okay. Um, so, and, and I'm trying to balance kind of the big picture here, and, and, and obviously this is one of the roles that we play as board members is to monitor this type of thing, but a big part of our focus is around quality education right. and um, supporting our staff and, and students. Um, so when I look at something like this, I have to balance that um, because, you know, you know, obviously um, with the amount of funds that we receive as a district, there are millions of more dollars and, and projects to be accounted for. So I have to kind of balance how big of an issue this is, but it does concern me that through communication and direction and guidance that this continues to be a chronic issue. What, um, what was um, alarming, and I don't remember if this came up the last time, was that there were several hundred dollars being held onto and not being deposited. So my final question would be, are staff in some way um, challenged to get those tasks done and follow the protocol, you know, in, in light of everything else that they may have to do in the course of a day or in the course of an hour, is it reasonable what we're requiring of them to do? You know, for instance, the teacher holding on to, you know, um, uh, uh, monies all day without finally getting them to the office, you know, in the course of his or her day, is it something that can be managed? Or, you see what I'm saying? So I, I guess I'm looking to, to leadership or, or whomever because is, is, it, is it reasonable for us to require this of them and are we somehow supporting them logistically so that it's they can very get the, it is, and okay. Sure, that's sure, so then I would um, emphasize that this is important and I really don't wanna see this come back to us again. So, um, because it's, it's money and we don't have any money. <laughs> so, you know. <coughs> So I'll, I'll just end with, with that. So I appreciate yeah. I, I needed that insight that is it reasonable? Yeah. We, we audit a lot of districts. I mean, we, we see these items a good bit. And again, we you know, kind of have to gauge you know, how, how much of it are we seeing? How many different schools is it going on at? If, if we decide to report it as a, as a finding. And it's a finding that in other places have been, it does constantly come up. It, it does. Constantly stay at stand time. Okay. Well, I, I, you know, I appreciate your efforts to, to, yeah. It's also a function of, you know, new staff. I mean, you have lots of people coming in at the beginning of the year. Lots of stuff is happening. Yeah. There's a lot to teach and lots, to, lots to train people on. It. So it's, it's another component. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it starts at the top too with those principles that they'll emphasize how important it is. I think the teachers will um, be more likely to. To, to do it, to say, okay, the principal takes it serious, I better get this money turned in on time, whereas sometimes if, if just the uh, bookkeeper is telling them, they don't take it as serious. So, having it come from the top might make a bigger difference. Thank you. Michelle? The good news, the top is in the audience. And um, <laughs> good here. Good time. The, um, just, uh, I w was going to ask in terms of the turnover, it's hard to think about um, this uh, Atkins report without considering why this may still be an issue and if there are ways with all the innovation that she has with trying to deal with supporting our new teachers and things like that, you know, across the board and talking about all new staff, uh, perhaps there are going to be certain things that could be highlighted in a way that's more digestible and since this one, as it is, 
definitely emphasize keeps coming up. It's important to keep this as one that's highlighted. I also, um, I guess Monday we had our audit meeting, and Miss um, Pittman, I because it's not. Remember how your call your seniors, you're the senior, they go and request their transcripts right. and they pay the money. It's yep. not all of the. They don't. You don't have to come to Lincoln Center. It's those requests that are after you've like graduated. Like you know, <laughs> right? If you need, yes, if you need translated a transcript request, that'll be coming here. Um, and that wasn't. That was one of my questions on Monday. Like, what? It's not that. It's, 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 the, it's the James's James If you're an already an alum, not your kid. It's not your kid. Miss Pippin, can you explain how it works? Maybe sure. and what yeah. we're referring yeah. to um, here. The transcripts, copies that current students need are paid at school level at local school funds right. accounts. They're collected by the bookkeepers. Okay. The transcript office here at Lincoln Center is the one that processes once students graduate older transcripts. That's the process we've changed now where if you want a transcript, you will come directly to the Budget and Finance Office, pay your $8 fee, receive a receipt, take the receipt back to the transcript office down the hall, and they will process it. And I think I misunderstood that all the prior years and thought it was, you know, Quad CITES or wherever right. in the various high schools and hadn't really realized that. Are there other questions? Uh, I want to recognize Jonathan in the audience, also. He's here. Yes. Um, and our outstanding uh, finance department. No, overall, things did look, look good. And I know we highlight a few things, but in the end, I mean, uh, think things, things look good in the finance department. Super. Okay. Thank you, Ruby. Thank you. All right. Um, Thank is you there Dale. a resolution, I think, this one? Yes or no? Good resolution? Second. To approve the audit. Mm -hmm. All those in favor say aye. Right. That brings us to um, elementary school SIPs. I want to recognize our principal of the year and the record in the audience. Congratulations. Good evening. Um, tonight we're bringing forward for discussion uh, the school improvement plans for the 2013-15 uh, school years. They're new SIPs, um, totally different from what we've done in the past because they align uh, with the district's new long-range plan and its instructional focus. Uh, that is uh, something that's much more reinforced than what we had in past years. The schools were to define a few school actions and develop related implementation steps that aligned with each of the district goals that apply to what happens at the building level. Um, and for goal number one, each school was also to establish two student learning growth goals. Um, SIP requirements um, and the planning timelines are detailed in the abstract that you have. I don't want to go through those. Uh, there are some state requirements that must be in the school improvement plan. Uh, they're also delineated in there too. Um, I just you know, wanted to speak a little bit about the process, which I've done and which you have in front of you. Uh, so with, and this is similar for the middle, the elementary, the middle, and the high. Um, so high, uh, the principals are all here, uh, at least at the elementary level. I haven't been able to look behind me yet um, to answer any questions that you have about those specific plans. If you have any questions regarding the process, I'm here to take those. And uh, uh, thank you. And first, I would like to uh, call on Deborah Stanger to do a little review because Andrew's our new board member. Um, about the safety plans and what we're covering tonight and not covering tonight. Closed session, open session. Oh. 
and, um, and the North Carolina essential, essential standards in every single course. As you've reviewed, it's, we're coming up on the one-year anniversary of the shooting um, in Connecticut, and you've reviewed, we, we really spent a lot of time on safety, and we have some money budgeted, and, and administrators are working on that. And um, you just saw, heard the terrible budget picture, so as you're working with your SITs for December budget requests, we still need to know what we need. You shouldn't promise anything, but we still still need to know what, what is really needed for children to excel in this district operating and facilities and that's a, a huge project for those of you with the older schools and some of those new schools will be 20 years next year so they're getting older um, and we know uh, well I do because uh, we know that the language of magnet is off to a good start uh, we know north sides off to a good start but there's always wrinkles when there's new schools that open um, so it's all those little issues that, that we know you're discussing with your SIT and your fuller community and and we really appreciate it. I mean, that's a lot of work. That's years of work right there. Anetta. Um, I, I, too, want to um, thank, um, thank all of you for your leadership and your willingness to collaborate with both teachers and parents on the development of a plan. Um, I, when I began as a parent in the district, it was the school governance um, committee or council, so it has definitely changed over time. And, um, has gone from a group who um, were very much <coughs> directly involved in terms of budget and things like that to um, more of an advisory role. But that advisory um, responsibility is still very important. So um, I, I would ask as administrators that you continue to um, let parents and teachers know that it is very important that everyone come together and look at their individual school's data um, and it is very unique from any other school and they should know that and then seriously look at that when it comes down to developing a plan. Uh, historically, um, well, I take that back. Sometimes the composition of school improvement teams is not always reflective of the student body or the school community. So I still consider um, school improvement team members to play a very important role in disseminating information. So whenever you do get your individual school's data, before you begin planning this, this plan and putting together the plan, you really do have a big responsibility to reach out to the greater, your greater school community and let them know this is what we looked like in the past year and what we want to do and can we get your feedback and assistance on that. So I still consider your role to be very important um, and um, even though it, is, it starts out as a template and we want to align um, district goals, <coughs> school goals, there is still the opportunity for you to develop something very specific to help you meet what is representative of the, um, of the district's goals. So um, keep up the good work and continue to engage all of the parents. Thank you. We'll move on to middle schools. Have a Is there any, wait, I should say this. Is there anything that you all would like to ask us? We have a minute or two. Is there anything? Okay. Okay, good. Yes, okay. Ditto for middle school. Uh, Can I say ditto? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, yeah, I don't know.
have to see. Why do people like it? Yeah. Yeah. Um,
For high school, um, we have three of our four schools here, um, and we'll be bringing Chapel Hill High School's report to you in January. So we have Eileen Tully, and Vern Maddox, and John A. Williams. <laughs> awesome. So, <laughs> awesome. <laughs>
Yeah, so Copper High School has a pretty well-established, uh, award-winning PBIS program, a strong team. Um, just Monday, we did have um, grade-level assemblies, and at those assemblies, um, the students received the uh, PBIS awards for um, being um, outstanding in terms of uh, character, behavior, and they were nominated by uh, faculty members. And last month, we didn't um, recognize a faculty member. Um, for their outstanding performance. And uh, so we're doing a lot of incentives. Each teacher has, um, it's a little different in high school. We don't have necessarily tickets, but each teacher does have an incentive program um, that they use with their students. And then we do have school-wide programs. And so once again, we are award-winning this year for our program. So we're really proud of it. Um, well, we are not as far along as Carborough and what well, is, so we haven't won our first award yet, but I'm sure that will be next year. <laughs> but we do, we do have a PBIS program that is that is growing and blooming. We just we've been focused on a lot of our PBIS implementation team mm -hmm. and providing staff development to teachers, sort of getting it implemented in the school on a broader basis. Um, Think that we just did a faculty meeting yesterday where the PBIS team presented to the faculty um, some new, maybe not all new, but um, brought back up some ideas with PBIS to, to pull out kids and acknowledge them for what they were doing well, as well as, <laughs> excuse me, in conjunction with some of our goals to deal with the discipline rates. And we are working on our PPs for right now, so using them as a, um, as a proactive intervention and step before things go south for kids and making sure that we're catching kids who are doing things well. <coughs> All right, what do you want to tell us? Come on. Anything? How many kids are at uh, Upper High? We are way up there, aren't you? 901. Oh, 901. We thought it might be 932. We started there. But we're at what you do with people? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Because they went to John's program? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, just the normal fluctuations. Okay. They thought they were coming to them. Oh, okay. They're all like Glenn. It's still a lot. I don't want to get you the extra allocation. But, um. it's, it's supposed to get us the extra allocation. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Mr. Kelly. <laughs> this was discussed at this point. It's 902. Well, we really do appreciate that you're, you and your staff are accommodating those kids that we didn't have to redistrict kids that were in, had already started high school. We knew it would be another year of high numbers. We appreciate that. Already Jaguars. That's right, already Jaguars. Same accolades, same thank you. We appreciate it. We're sorry you had such little time, but we don't want to waste your time. You know, you have a million things to do. So thank you. We'll be looking for the graduation uh, notice. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to our I'll bring my tissue box. <laughs> Can I ask a question about the hospital school? Sure. Will that be? Uh, it's fine if it's not in the past. And I realize we have an interim, so yeah. is that sort of how you're handling this year? It's not in your notebook? It is in my 
I know, but okay. I just know Miss Mack is in here, which is fine. Obviously, we're just telling her to have right there. I just know the hospital school in particular is yeah. in transition. They have, they have an interim, yeah. And so it's just an opportunity to verify are they doing all right and um, as yeah. early as I'm Actually, very guess. fortunate. It's been fun to say one. Yeah, just a little. Ms. Mack. With regard to their school improvement plan, obviously it's very, very different Absolutely. from the standard. Yep. And last year, um, when Dr. Ludlum was there, they did a total revision yes. of the plan. Um, so what Ms. Mack has done this year is taken that plan and just moved it forward. Yep. Okay. So it's really not significantly different, um, other than just moving it forward. I just want to make sure, since she's not here and yeah. you guys would know best, are they getting what they need since we're in that sort of transition mode? Mm -hmm. Okay. Thank you, Ms. Ritter. Next. I'm up again. Oh, you're up again. Let's go ahead and move on to the next item. Ms. Martin, I heard again, but I'm our speaker tonight. Okay. Um, so we have several course recommendations for you to consider this evening. Um, and these course recommendations would go into effect for the 14-15 registration cycle. Um, you have the, the course recommendations were developed by the curriculum coordinators with content teachers who taught those particular courses or who would be teaching them. Uh, they were then reviewed by principals in the curriculum management team, um, and we got some feedback from those folks. Uh, you do have several re uh, removals in this um, packet, and they are for courses um, that have not met for several years or courses that are being replaced by state mandates that are coming forward. Um, we have some new courses and their state requirements <coughs> or college board AP program uh, requirements. I will say that there is one error in your report, and it is a good error. It is the one that goes along with Spanish language arts uh, 6, 7, and 8. There's an $18,000 budget attached to that. That's wrong. It should be zero. Oh, and that was for another thing that we'll probably ask for in two months. Oh. <laughs> uh, for this, it's, so there's no... Uh, there's a little bit of money allocated with some of the courses, but nothing in the $18,000 range. Um, we do have coordinators here, some coordinators here, to answer um, any questions that you have. I think those that are in here, uh, Ms. Martin and I can probably uh, manage this for you. All right. Board members, questions? Michelle. Sorry, I'm joining up in show. Um, <laughs> There are a couple of questions I have. Number one is, in the past, and maybe I'm more sensitive to this having tried to go over liaison and stuff for board liaison, there's been a portion of this process that involved the curriculum committee for essential standards, or some curriculum committee. Curriculum management team. And there used to be a board person, and someone involved. Like when I first got on the board, it was in the fall, it was all day. Yeah, so in this process that you're talking about, was that one He would have been on the email list that would have gotten that. Um, and invited to the various meetings. So I guess, you might, yes. No, no, this is I just wanted to verify that you're still, because you mentioned sort of other parts of the process, and I, yes. I might have missed it. I just wanted to clarify that there still is that meeting, and there still is yes. a board need for a board liaison. There is a need. Got so it. I don't have it right now. That's right. We're going to work on that later. Yeah. Okay. okay. Um, so that was my first question. Okay. The other is, look, there are two others. Looking at this, um, I was confused with, Previously, when we had world language presentation, I was um, under the impression that administration, starting in the fall of 2014, was changing from semester a semester sixth grade language course to offering sixth graders a year-long language course because we realized that at least even administration was presenting how that didn't go along with the with the plan for world language education, et cetera. 
So I couldn't tell in this report, is this changing that? No, that is not here, and we're not anticipating that for next year. Um, the uh, coordination of course requirements, especially at the middle school where things are very um, tightly aligned with regard to how the schedule is built, uh, the work that we're going to do in looking at the middle school and high school schedules, the middle school schedule in this part will drive what that's going to be. But I know there is a lot of discussion. Um, Elaine Watson Grant has had a lot of discussion around that as well. Um, we've had, we're not ready to move to that, but that's, I, I believe, the direction that will be coming because forward. Because there might to be a major, if there are changes in the overall mm -hmm. schedule, we don't want to make some changes now that have to redo them again. Um, and that would, and once you make that a year-long class, then something else goes, something has to go away, obviously, unless you go to an AB model or a whole different model. So. But at the middle school, I thought the, high, the scheduling changes were at the high school level. No, 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 I think this came up in other discussions is, is really clarification of what your expectation is in terms of the timeline of that change because when that world language report was given to us in the fall or maybe it was August, I can't remember exactly. I don't think there was ever a date when the, the report said that it would be best to have a, a, a full year course. Correct. But I don't think there was a timeline that's attached to that. But it's been talked about for many years. Right. My very first meeting here was was on the agenda. Right. So There's a need to have it just for half a year, but there are several different models. Mm -hmm. Remember, if you, if you had it every day, all year, then you're going to have to give up some other courses. There are AB models where you can have it every other day for an entire year, sure. which is probably a better model, but that would impact the other elective courses and change the whole schedule. Right. I guess the concern I have is that um, the board, when I got on the board, the board voted, that was when we got input from principals and that they wanted to change it to half to a semester. Mm -hmm. And the benefits of that have not panned out. And in fact, the concern, it, it, the, the idea was that then you have more selection as a sixth grader to take more electives. But the consequence of that in terms of your continuing language instruction and with us subsequent to that, which was four years ago, as a board being committed to world language for several years, and then having Elaine Watson, I'm sorry, I always say thank you, Grant, um, position funded and having her expertise and then having her present that, that really what we've done now makes no sense because we're, we're interrupting that language instruction. So. I appreciate what you're saying in terms of you're trying to have this all scheduling change, but the reality is the kids are going to start sixth grade next year. The, the language teachers are there; they can't sign up. I, I just don't. I don't follow why the, the scheduling changes in the future impact the ability for kids sixth grade 2014 to take a full year of language because they're going to just move forward with whatever options they have then later. I'm only one person. I'm just saying that I was expecting that to be clarified, and I'm just saying that if. As you're doing this in the context of scheduling, it would be nice for us to keep being appraised of when that change is going to happen. And if you're linking it to your schedule changes, I appreciate knowing that now. And then just I'll look for that in the future. I'm anxious for that change to happen, as you can tell. I regret a vote several years ago. And then the second thing is, um, in the past when we've gotten this document, it's always been very clear um, which schools these are offered at when you're adding courses, and that becomes critical occasionally at the middle school level, but absolutely at the high school level. And 
um, some of the implications we have of having a smaller, although very overcrowded high school that does not have the same breadth of course offerings that the other two do. And just, I think it's important that the board have that visually in front of them so that we're constantly aware of, of things that we approve and that are given at the bigger middle, bigger high schools and will continue not to be able to be given. It's wonderful because Tom, Dr. Purcell is working on the virtual classroom concept and I think that'll be ultimately a good thing, but it just helps us stay accountable. So um, I couldn't tell that from this document, which one of these high school new courses were going to be at all the high schools or just at address the yeah, Ms. Burke oh, can address the CTE courses, and that's probably where most of those issues will okay. come in. Yeah. Thank Wait, you. Wait, let me ink it in while you're telling us. Yeah. And like Automata, that's just Chapel Hill High. Yes, that's the only school that we have a lab for. The project Lead the Way currently is on at East and Chapel Hill High School. The administration at Harbor was very excited about this curriculum, so they are making arrangements to offer at least one of the programs, whether it be biomedical or engineering. They're going to poll the students to see where the interest is, so they'll be ready for registration. So we'll have a space for it. I know that was a concern. They, it is a concern. So <laughs> she's going to find space. That's so that's a trailer exciting. request comes in. <laughs> Modular <see>. classroom. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate your efforts to so, make sure everybody has access. Can I piggyback on that? Please. So will the honors versions, um, will they sort of be taught with the, I mean, are there, are there enough kids to have two actual classes or will In the kids who are on the honors and the regular be together with these, some of these CTE classes? It's all, it's it's all, all it's it's the hall, the honors, gotcha. Yeah. Automotive, it could be a separate class or it could be a combined class. Okay, all right. And all the other classes are for no, no. Social justice is at East, and the um, arts. arts focus is at Chapel Hill High, and then the world focus, whatever, is at uh, Carborough High. For those social studies. Yeah, for in, in the past, when we got this, it was. Yeah, I, I just, I, no, I just say if you wouldn't mind making a note to keep. I, I, I'd like that to continue moving forward, and then because okay. we don't have the high school course book in front of us, but again, it's something that I think is a board we need to pay attention to. Thank you. And I know that the General Assembly added a second year of, of, I think, U.S. history, right? But what is the sequence now? What order will they generally, typically, be taking the their social, high school social studies classes? They'll be taking. Should I stand there? Come on up, because the mic's up here. Right. Yes, thanks. <laughs> um, students will be taking um, world history and then civics and then American one and American two. And okay. since we're on a year calendar. Um, we can't offer the American two until the following year, with the exception of Phoenix Academy, since they're on the block schedule. American two. Thank you. Okay. Any other questions? Mike. Um, just along the lines of the uh, change in the Project Lead the Way biomedical uh, being noted as one plus uh, for the grading to designate honors. It's always been honors, and the students Correct. have been given that credit. It just hasn't been indicated as Correct. such in the course book, so it's not oh, a change. Right. In okay. In okay. Yeah, we're correcting that. Oh, okay. Oversight. Okay. Any other questions? Now this one I think does have a resolution. It does not. Does not. Are we? It just brought to my attention. This March, just for the Well, who wants to move approval of these course uh, removals and additions? Who should need that? I <laughs> and a second. Second. Oh, any other discussion? All in favor say aye. Aye. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right. Raising the back, moving forward. Technology.
Okay, well, as you may recall, just two weeks ago, we had a cast of several of the members of our Technology Advisory Committee, and we spent uh, a little over half hour uh, going over the plan. Uh, it's here for your approval, and I'm open to any comments. Move approval. Is there a second? Second. Is there a discussion? All those in favor say aye. Aye. Any opposed? That's a seven zero. Thank you. Great, like great, free teaching. Free teaching works. Free teaching works. That's right. I like that the free teaching works. Free teaching works. Okay. Okay, it's like an upside down classroom. Now, now it's going to go with the pencils. Okay, good. So, Mia, you're in charge. Okay. The vice chair filling out this, helping us fill out this form. Okay, as I help. Um, we, Shell and I met um, Saturday and took a stab at it. Um, uh, based on the input that we had, although I don't think we had anything from you, Mike, so you just sort of got assigned. So I, you need to review that was, these. That was my input. <laughs> oh, okay. Just so, to clarify, we also thought it would be appropriate to change the dual language advisory council to something world language advisory group yes, or something that is not just specific to dual language so that you can encompass whatever your whatever the world language things are. Andrew, you have a question? I was going to maybe say foreign language advisory council. Yeah, usually the, 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 the dual language. Yeah, yeah, they use the, yeah, whatever. Yeah, let's say, say world. World language. World. Typically they're the, the yeah. world, but you're right. Yeah. Um, we also looked at it to see if any of these needed to go away. Has anybody found that any of these needed to go away, that they're not meeting? Um, or if administration has any suggestions about that. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> Have you been going to the Carborough Rights and Well, she didn't share that, that that actually was appointed by, as well by the Alderman, I think she said, she emailed. Um, there is an update to that. Um, moving forward, um, historically they have, they have not had a representative, so I think I brought, brought that back to have that liaison mm -hmm. um, representation. And um, they they did appoint me, so it happened a few months after we made our December assignments. So it it, it was not on the same schedule oh, that, sure. that we're currently on. But in talking with um, their staff advisor to to that group, um, she's been in consultation with the alderman, um, and they determined that it's best to. Um, truly have it as a liaison role okay. where an appointment by the alderman is not required. Oh, okay. And they will align that person coming on to the group in December, effective okay. next December. So, um, because historically it is a two-year term, so I'm in the, I'm starting the second year of my term, so I'll finish out with them. And then in December, someone will roll on, but it won't take the procedural application to be approved by the alderman. That's good. Thank you for doing all that work. I should take a line that. Okay, so who um, who has conflicts, who wants changes, comments? I have Andrew. a question. Yeah. Can somebody give me a little more, more background of what the curriculum committee is does? Um, so I am, the, I guess, the coordinator for the curriculum management committee. We changed the name. It wasn't our policy. I actually don't know if that policy was approved because we had a lot of different policy off of the agenda. But the curriculum management team approves courses. Um, 
curriculum in the district. Um, right now, it's really heavily involved in Strategy 1.1, in which we're identifying a curriculum template for the district to be used across all content area. So our focus is um, a lot of curriculum development, um, course, um, course approval, and changes in course assignments. So um, what we do as a committee is really approve curriculum and curriculum mapping and anything that's come up from the state, such as, let's say, Read to Achieve, we introduce it to the curriculum management team because they then in turn go back to their buildings and share things that are coming um, down from the state and things that the district is doing. So the committee consists of teachers and administrators and all ISD coordinators participate on the curriculum management team. So um, how often do you meet? We meet, at this point we meet four times a year, but we're looking to meet more often next year. We're finding that there's a lot more for us to cover in terms of how we would like courses to be developed and curriculum um, written. So for now, we meet three to four times a year. This year is four times. And is it all day? Is it the same? It is all day. It's 8.30 to 3.30. And typically, just for your knowledge, there's PD involved. And the first half of the session um, typically is heavily around PD, a lot of um, reading, so that there's an understanding for what um, you're approving. And, so, um, and then we share out in, in an electronic document the minutes and the notes. So the agenda is given out in advance, and any advanced reading is shared um, in advance of the meeting, there'll be reminders depending on how much reading is required. Um, so the first half of the time we spend together is usually around PD. That's typically led by me. Yeah, I don't know if the because um, that's that's it's quite a bit. Yeah. So yeah. I think as far as it is, I think the board board representation would be more when it gets to the decision. So the decision yeah, about least. curriculum and, um, and and as far as the PD, you know, the curriculum management team is going through that because we're using you know the it's a new understanding, model. Yeah, understanding it's a new by model. design. Model of how you plan curriculum. Um, we can give you a four-page article about it. Read what you want. It's actually fourteen, but it's oh, well. counted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and and then when there are decisions about courses and, and right. those kinds of things, that's I think the board member should probably. Yeah, and not, it won't I, always be like that. The purpose is really right now because we're changing. Um, we don't have any established, approved, district-wide common curriculum or assessments, and so we're going through a process of understanding what that looks like, and so when we see courses that are presented for approval or curriculum, we can look at it with a critical eye. Right now, without a common understanding and common language, courses can be presented to us that actually aren't very rigorous or don't have clear expectations, and so the, the curriculum management team is going through a process now of getting a common language and understanding so that the process in the future is a lot smoother. Yeah, because when I served on that, um, and it was a previous lifetime, um, so I appreciate that you guys infused a lot to it. It was just that sort of the culmination of whatever that back process mm -hmm. was, was when they had sort of the meeting where really the final discussions about courses and stuff before it was going to come to the board. Mm -hmm. And that was an all-day thing where, but where the board member attended. So it sounds like it'd be helpful. It wasn't the team prior uh, to the way uh, Dr. Parvey's organized it. Team itself wasn't involved exactly. with all that training. There yeah, was no, whatever that training was something better. different. Yep. And then there was a team that just did what you're saying, yep. and now they're involved from beginning to end in the process and they're representatives from all schools. But I just think, uh, given how different what you just described in a great way, this is uh, probably administratively where you think it's appropriate for a board member to be asked FYI for some of it, and yeah. then letting him explicitly know this. This meeting we've decided is yes. one that's appropriate for a board member. Right, and we actually have a moratorium on new courses specifically right. for what we're so that's why there hasn't been a need right. for approval of courses right. because since we're changing and with the common core, 
we have um, a lot of new courses to be presented okay. until we give a template of how courses should be presented. So you're absolutely yeah, we can do that when we get to that point. You still interested? Yeah, no, I, your name it's, it's, <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to scare you away. I'm sorry. No, <laughs> it's, I mean, it sounds like I'll, you know, we take it offline, figure out when, you know, if, if you are blocking off a full day, mm -hmm. when the appropriate time. Absolutely. And um, I want to remind everyone that uh, these are our, um, the board member wants to attend most of these are open meetings, um, you know, pre-K, GPAC, PTA Council, that anybody can attend whenever you have an interest or, or want to as well. And like sometimes, um, particularly with SITs where we ask uh, board members to go each month at the high school level, but just once a semester with the others, if, if, if I can't go, it's no big deal, but if there's something big, I'll, if you can ask uh, board members, can anybody cover for me? You know, we do that. Um, or you had, a, Annette had a meeting, you know, a couple weeks ago, could anybody, none of us could go, but you know, we ask, can anybody go? fill in as well. The other point I guess I would just emphasize I know every year it seems their um, communication of this when we approve it and I know you, Donna works really hard to get it out and just trying to re-emphasize oh, the push out to these different um, organizations and groups that sometimes the transition is a little uh, rocky about like who their new rep is they're not sure they didn't know we changed they didn't and then their meeting dates even though we've tried really hard to know what they are currently they've gotten changed and so um, I, I just encourage administration to make sure that once we approve this, all the right people know, and then that way they'll start including us. But then also as board members, as we've transitioned from one to another, if you start to get emails about what you previously run, to forward it to the next person so that we sort of help each other with that transition as well. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll take on the committees I'm assigned to. I'll just reach out and say, hey, okay. especially if I notice it's a change or and then, right, if schedules change, then just bring it up so yeah, we can see who else can change in flip-flop. So, so uh, just to be clear, so the SIT, right. Donna, I think, is the, is notifies the schools, or someone notifies the schools who the new person is, and they're supposed to reach out to you. Well, thank you, Donna. Yeah. Okay. All right, great. Um, that's how it's working. A couple of warnings for you going into communities and schools. I've never done that one before. Um, Sheila resigned. Okay. She got a call. She's she's going into a full-time pastorship, so oh, okay. leaving the area, moving. Uh, but the other more pressing thing you need to worry about is that the new chair of that group is. Uh, As recently resigned. Yes, but the, I thought you and. Well, not yet. We have to go through a process. I thought you were going to be the co-chair. We were nominated to be co-chairs. We haven't got to a process yet. But you're going to have to switch roles here. You're, she'll be the co-chair of those meetings, and you'll have to, you know, hey, listen to her. Never be quiet. <laughs> 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 <That's a fun. laughs> oh, okay. Sounds very. Sounds fun. I've never. I think I've never done before. Okay, so is everybody any other changes we need to make? Anybody see any? We tried to see for conflicts of like I know Mike, we, like, you have two, but they're only once a semester, so even though on the same day, you'll be able to get to them. Like,
Are the um, policy committee dates fixed? Oh, we were going to ask that, and I don't think I did. Yeah, those 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 dates are. I know we're meeting on the 16th. So really, at least that's what's. Okay. I'm planning on going to Have a backup. It used to be. Um, so will flexible. we previously we received the policies in advance of the meeting? Is that going to remain for me? Electronic and it's markup and it's been it's been easy. So do you want to have a backup maybe then? If you can't make it, then we have somebody else ready to go. Yeah, I mean I can get there at six thirty. I can't get there at six. Okay, so let's switch that out. Who else? Who else could switch something Wait. with Shell? Maybe. I'm sorry, which one is this? Policy committee. It's it's and it's not any particular day of the week. I mean, because we looked at that. It's not like it's the first well, Tuesday or the second Tuesday. It's all just these different dates. It varies, but it's at six o'clock. Which time of the can you do it? Do you pretend you can uh, get there? I will struggle to get there at 6 o'clock. Could you do 6.15? What, of course? Rod, in charge of that. Well, we just miss here right now. I'll, I'll do my best. Well, no, no, no. We, I mean, we, 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 we need to... In the past, we have board so I mean, the policy committee is sort of what we do as a board mm -hmm. and the way this board has decided to sort of try to function is to do have two board members who right. go and at least when you and I were on the board before or this committee us getting there is you have to sort of accommodate that it, I mean I realize that we will do our best to be accommodating as well but if we don't have the flexibility within our board members of seven to consistently. Well, I guess and that's what I'm asking are there other members though who could make this time that should just switch it up or not? The people who participate in the policy committee from our end could be very different. Rodney is there. He's mm -hmm. the, the one that's always there, but depending on the policies, different people come. Something. And they come, come and go. We can okay, stay there the whole time. Yeah, All right. So, do we want to say 630 would 630? be doable. Just check with Rodney down and make sure he knows. Okay, 630, 630. Okay. Did you do 630? Okay. Let's see if we can switch to 630. Same thing if you guys can't make it. I mean, if you're if they're backing up, no, just six thirty that works. Have two other folks. Anybody else good? All right. I, I'm sorry. One uh -huh. other question. Yep. I, I know there was some discussion about the name of the language advisory council. Yep. World language. But at this point, it says no meeting scheduled. Is that group being revitalized? So they met when the um, when they're going through the process of approving the dual language school, and so they, they haven't had to meet at this time, and so I think more meet as needed as opposed to regularly scheduled meetings. Okay. And will the focus still remain around dual language instruction? World language. So it is. It could be broad. Right. Okay. Right. And, and is it driven by any pressing issues? Or yes. Is it I mean, most likely Mandarin will be a pressing <laughs> issue. Come so out. that's so based yes. on. But Mandarin might not remain dual language. It might become immersion. It might be, there's different options. And so we just want to be very general um, with the title. And, but we want you to know it can be very broad what you, what you could be uh, discussing. And, and the membership will change. We ran that one by Tom, so we're OK. <laughs> well, we're not surprising him. <laughs> uh, any other questions? We good? So All right. Nothing really changed. No, we didn't have to drop anything. And no, nothing to add. Didn't drop new. anything, and no personnel or change. No, no swap members. We did good. We did all right.
it's always it's changing in two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't have to need any notes. All right. So I guess they're um, they all under the approval of the resolution. So moved. Second. Second. Those in favor say aye. Aye. Any opposed? And we have our new notices for in theory. The next year, in theory at least. Yes. Okay. That brings us to sharing. Um, I have one. Uh, on January 9th, we have board development with Ken for our meeting. And we need to pick some topics. He sent some suggestions. I just have to find it here. Here it is. That we can choose, or if, you, if anybody has any other uh, preferred topics, just let us know. We're going to decide tonight. One um, possibility is legal issues related to student assignment, including use of race and use of socioeconomic status, and specifically a student's free or reduced lunch program status. And the second one is the Fourth Amendment. Um, these are all uh, constitutional law topics. Search and seizure. This topic could cover what is a search for purposes of the Fourth Amendment, when a school district can conduct searches based on reasonable suspicion, how the involvement of law enforcement may change the standards, and when a school district can conduct a search without reasonable suspicion, e.g. random testing of commercial motor vehicle operators. So those were two. Very dry. Very dry. I like the first one better. But the first one, I think, wasn't there a Supreme Court case? I think it was a Supreme Court case this year, like, then, this summer, that changed some of Wayne County got a ruling that they might be able to use the freedom of one. So, so let's, let's do the first one, okay. You guys really want to keep talking about redistricting? <laughs> no. We don't have to. Well, we, we should know because it's going to be inevitable as uh, we can't build schools the minute we hit South Florida. And I think, yeah, I mean, we can have a little bit of a conversation about whether what we did do versus in terms of the at-risk thing or whatever that versus the freedom reduced. Well, he's advised us on that, but we need to know right, right, what's, right. what's changed or not changed or what the law is. Well, but what are some other topics, guys? You know, it's, part of the, it's part of the premium package of legal services. Can I make a suggestion? Yes. <laughs> if we don't have a topic right now yeah. that we need the, and we're excited to hear about or feel we need to hear about, maybe we should just not do it right now and then reserve our package we can we certainly can and um to when we need them is that by the over the course of the calendar year is that yeah. i think it's a school year isn't school it year. contract i don't know deborah what's the contract is school year or typically, year? typically it's in july to they're so good they'd honor it either way if we right. ended up doubled up we'd be all right that they would that sounds yeah. that's all right with me the only issue is the date then I mean, I'm happy right. to have three days now, but, you know, that's why we use it later. Day. You have to schedule and we, for everybody. We do get pretty crowded so. in, in April and May, but if God forbid we don't use it this year, I'm, I'm kind of okay with that. I mean, it's, we know that if we have an issue, that Arlington Smith's going to be there for us. I mean, we don't want to just have a meeting just to have a We really do. I also don't think we're experts in the law, and that we can always learn more from our legal advisors, of the counterpoint, you know, counterpoint. That's fine. But we need just in time. We need That's legal fine. advice. We need That's to know fine. that law. Okay. Is. All right. But if Kenneth already has a PowerPoint prepared <laughs> on the first topic, he just wants to send You know, actually, you guys have, when is that training? It's like February, March, right? With the North Carolina Schools Association, the conferences. So you might actually have better 
PowerPoints afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not sure. What, uh, many of us go to many of the different conferences and present, so I'm not sure who, which one of us is going.
and then we'll have backup because that was the other thing we talked about. We're all coming at it from very different levels, right. and so those of us who that's not a problem, fine. But we need a mechanism, and we also talk we about each of us helping each other. But we would get the device, right. and then the idea is that is your device as a board member that you then give back to the district right. when we're right. done. Oh yeah, you'd be uh, the provide the device, and I think a, a really good plan would be if we could possibly work this out would be to, to give the device to you a couple of weeks ahead of time so you oh, can just okay. play with it and then when you come yes. in uh, for the I, it's called I legislate you can go on the on, on YouTube and watch a little video about it but uh, uh, it's 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 pretty slick, pretty slick. so that was one share and uh, lastly just quickly um, for the most part um, the vast majority comments on a focused dialogue are very positive. Uh, it's a difficult situation because you do have input from, from across the district. Um, this was done in short order because we had an issue and we wanted to try a different format. So um, we've talked a lot about how to, how to prep the, the individuals, um, but oftentimes with an issue that's very complicated, it's very hard to ask someone to volunteer to come to a meeting and then do you know, two days worth of reading to, to get up to speed. So we're still tweaking it. Um, I think the next time we'll probably do something like this would be around the budget, which I think will be around the standings. And it would be a great opportunity for all the schools to have a team there and to do it in a conversational kind of a way uh, to get some feedback. But I think. Most people were very appreciative of the fact that, that we had this kind of initiative. Um, we did have a number of people who were in the audience, so to speak, about 100, about 100 people in the audience, and then there were 55 who were participating. Um, but I think it's just another layer. It's not the only piece of decision making. It's another layer to help us make informed decisions, um, hopefully trying to broaden our scope and who we're listening to. We asked our principals to, um, as they appointed people, one from the SIT team, one from uh, the PTA, and then to really try to appoint someone else who would represent the diversity in the senior school. Um, you know, and we need to be better at that still. But I think it's, I think it's worth continuing to explore this particular option. Um, and once people get used to it, it might become more of a norm that you want to see a point where people are saying, you know, are we going to have a focused dialogue on this? We want people to want to talk about it across the schools because when we often have decisions, you know, and we're listening to one group over and over, and then when the decision is made, uh-oh, that school's also impacted, or that school's impacted, and then we get their feedback, how can you tell us? Because you don't know all the time going into it, so I think you have a dialogue with all the schools that could potentially be impacted, at least you're hearing from, from everyone. So I, I think it's worth, uh, I know Todd and, and Magda put a lot of time and effort into this also, and we all facilitate it. Um, and I, I just think it's worth continuing the effort. We can't hurt. No. Um, I kind of on a, a little different note, but about advocacy. I think all of us received this week um, from the um, both the State School Boards Association and the, the National School Boards Association. Um, open registration has begun for their um, annual um, 
what used to be called the Federal Relations Conference. Um, it's titled something different, but it's centered around um, advocating at the congressional level for um, public education. This annual meeting is the first weekend um, in February. Uh, I have participated in the past, and this year the format has changed a little bit, um, but it is centered around um, from across the country um, advocating at, at the federal level um, for public education. This year is um, particularly, um, I think, challenging, but also offers an opportunity for the State School Boards Association because they have introduced to us um, another leg of another piece of their of, of advocacy that they're doing. So um, this would be an opportunity for them to engage a little different way. So um, I am considering attending, um, but am short the board development funds to attend. So I wanted to introduce that so that board members can consider who have not used their allocation to consider sharing some with me so that I can represent our school board there. So um, oh, registration just open for that. So there's still a little time, but it's probably Aside, aside from the national conference, it's rather expensive. Um, registration is right at $600, and they choose a hotel that is almost $270 a night. But um, I'm likely not to stay, so I'm more I'm more um, interested in um, funding the registration. And I'm about halfway there. And I'm sorry, the location is? It's DC. It's, it's, so it's there, day on the hill. Um, by car, so it would be All right. Um, I have one other. Is there another share? I have one other sharing. Um, I'm, I'm sorry. Okay, sure. The reason why this is important to me, and it kind of links to the um, resolution that um, I've made the decision not to support because I, I feel like we can have the most impact if we can get directly to the members of Congress to focus on education. Um, so I feel like that's a better way to, to do that type of advocacy, either meeting them when they're in their states or going to them. And this is a day um, they will be in session during that process, so. um, You may or may not recall that uh, last year we, I don't know if it was policy or whatever, that we added a provision that um, assistant superintendents and raised uh, salaries could be, I think, or, I don't know which combination, but they, they could be reviewed. Um, and so I would like to have, we talked about it in shares, I would like to just basically not cover, have all seven board members there, but have a little board subcommittee of three, and just it can be any three of us, and have Donna just schedule some dates, and we can see whatever three are available to, to, to meet with the employee, um, and, and listen, and, and hear, and discuss. It's sort of the first time, so we'll have to work on you know, whatever, what sort of outcomes do we want or not want, or um, just how it would flow. But I want to just go ahead and get some a date or uh, however many dates we need set up. And uh, just want to let you know you'll be getting the little, you know, that calendar thing Donna does for when you can do it. And if anybody has a better way to do this, um, it was a request to just keep it small and, and not so more informal way of more informal of, of allowing them. Them to it, it's voluntary. It's purely if right. that's what they want as an opportunity, but just to communicate their perspective so that then 
board can take it under advisement. Right. This is at the uh, direction of our superintendent, Phil. This would be a, a good addition to the process that we have. Right. It'll be a close, close session item, I believe. That's an evaluation. Exactly what it does. It's not evaluation. Not evaluation. Just, in their contract, there's a clause that says yeah. the board will consider the salary on a yearly basis. So what right. is the definition of consider? And usually it's a conversation. And so does that conversation have with the individual and the entire board for um, the board chairs or a group of three, the stock forum, whatever it is, and then those those board members would bring the information back to the entire board. It's less daunting than part of the administrator have to sit in front of seven people and have a conversation about this. Um, so that's what the request was. So can we try it this way? We can do plus delta. See, see how it goes. There's no, there's there's no, no decision making at the lower level. Right. No, 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 yeah. no. It's yeah, just a yeah. conversation. Yeah. All right. Any other sharing? When does Winifred start? <laughs> <laughs> Soon, coming up. <laughs> the goal is to make it to winter break without snow having to get it's up. Snow. You did the weather Don't thing. That you did the weather thing. Yeah. <laughs> the goal is to make it to winter break. After that, I can handle it. Okay, so I would just, well, I would just like to say, Andrew, you obviously brought us good karma because, I mean, here we are. We just went through this agenda. So clearly you were the one changing back here. So thank you. Please Welcome. Welcome. Oh, Welcome. Welcome. <laughs> I try not to waste time. <laughs> Move to adjourn. Second.